Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, Dr. Tim Jordan here. And if you are a parent who wants to remain an influence in your daughter's life now, through the teen years and beyond, you're in the right place. This is the podcast Raising Daughters, and I'm here every two weeks. Every other week, I do a, a blog, by the way, talking about girls, parents of girls, things like that. And today, I'm going to veer off a little bit from my traditional topics. I'm going to talk about divorce, and in particular, divorce moms. And so I have a, a guest. Her name is Stephanie Nichols. She's from Wisconsin. She doesn't have an accent, though, like you would expect from a Wisconsiner, if that's the right word. And Stephanie is, is a, a divorced mom of two young boys, and she wrote a book called Create Your Calm, A Guilt-Free Journey to Peaceful Motherhood. She's a certified life coach for divorced moms, and she works one-on-one -on -one with moms who are ready to flourish after divorce. So I thought it would be an interesting topic just to talk about today, because I haven't talked about this, I don't think, ever. So welcome to uh, Raising Daughters. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to have a chance to talk to you. You know, I, my first question for you is, I work a lot with girls in high school and, and college, and they're so s stressed out about knowing their whole life path, like they should know. And I'm just curious about uh, how you found your niche, because this is a very particular niche. It is a particular niche. And interestingly, like, so as I, when I was growing up, my sister and I, I have an older sister, we always played school in our basement. It was like our thing that we did. We both loved school. And actually my sister's also a teacher. Um, she teaches high school right now. And we would play like school, like, you know, in our free time, whenever we were playing together down in our basement. And it was just something that I always was very passionate about. And then as I grew older, I developed a passion for music. And so I combined the two passions and became a music teacher. And so I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to become a music teacher. I'm going to make a difference. Right. And I had all of these huge dreams. And then I graduated the only person in my class to graduate after five years of getting a double major um, in choral and general music. And then I went out into the teaching world and it was like, I loved the teaching aspect of what I did. Um, the rest of it, I really didn't care for that much. And so um, I always just had this desire to help and this passion for, you know, like helping people and making a difference in the world. And so then when I went through my own adversities, the first challenge that I experienced um, that changed me quite a bit was becoming a mom and like just being able to teach my children, right? It was like this whole new experience of now I'm getting to be this role model for my children and setting an example for them. And then I went through the experience of divorce and that adversity like changed me completely. And I realized how important it is to have somebody there to help coach you through it. And it's a different kind of teaching, but it's still a very similar experience. And so it's something that I'm very passionate about. And when I found out that I could get certified through this amazing program and start helping moms who are experiencing divorce, and I can help them use that experience as a catalyst, you know, to um, basically overcome their adversity, I was like, where do I sign up? And so that was kind of, it was like, trial and error, trial and error, trying things and seeing what worked and what I liked and what I didn't like. 
and then just keep taking action and keep moving forward and keep setting goals for myself. And eventually I came across something that I feel like I'm really good at and I really am passionate about too. That's great. Um, you know, I, when I work with girls who have been through adversities, challenges, which every girl has been through something, right? All of us have our little, our times in our life. Um, one of the things that I work with them on a lot is making better sense of what they're going through because when they get ditched by their friends or when their parents get divorced or when a parent doesn't spend time with them or whatever the, the adversity might be, they go inside their heads. They start asking questions like why, why, why they answer the questions oftentimes with negative things like maybe it's because I'm not good enough or maybe it's because I'm whatever. And I'm wondering if that is holds true also for the, for the moms you work with who've been through divorce, if they develop a lot of negative self-talk about that. Absolutely. And it's definitely something that actually comes from when we're growing up, right? Like we develop our belief systems when we're growing up. And like as kids, we kind of take on the belief systems of the people around us. And I think a lot of times as we get older, we don't stop to question those belief systems, right? And when we're kids, we don't necessarily know how to express that. And so a lot of times it goes unnoticed. And so then as we become adults, we've never learned how to understand what we're thinking, what we're feeling, how to identify emotions in our body, how to express them appropriately. And so into adulthood, we don't stop to question that because it's like, you know, like when you can't see very well and then you go to the eye doctor and they're like, oh yeah, you need glasses. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that this wasn't, you know, the way that everybody else sees. Yeah. And it's the same kind of concept, right? Like we don't recognize that there's all of these negative thoughts going on in our head. We just think that's what is. We don't recognize that our brain is offering us these thoughts that we don't have to even choose to think, right? Like sometimes our brain just lies to us. It tells us these preconditioned thoughts that we've just been thinking over and over and over and we don't stop to question it. So absolutely, I see that a lot in a lot of the moms that I coach where like the two biggest fears that we have as humans, one is the fear of missing out and two is the fear of not being enough, right? And actually I was coaching a woman today about, um, she was talking about not being enough for her job and just the sense of feeling like she has to keep doing more and more and more. And I gave her this analogy of like, imagine this island that's like a mirage, right? Like we just see it, we think it's there, it feels really real to us. And it's this island of enoughness, right? It's like a destination that we're gonna get to. And now we're in this rowboat and we're pedaling upstream. And so we're constantly pedaling, trying to get to this place of being enough and feeling enough. And so we're, we're paddling and worrying and doing and trying to do all these things but we're not getting anywhere and we're working really hard and we're exhausting ourselves. We never actually make any headway on getting to this island of enoughness. And the truth is like that island doesn't actually exist, right? Like we are enough already as we are. And when we look externally to try to find ways and how we're enough, we're going to exhaust ourselves because we're never going to find it outside of us. Yeah. I wonder if one of the things that comes up for women who have been through a separation or divorce is the uh, they lose a sense of control because you're now there's just some things they just don't have control over. I wonder if that's something that you find with your women. If so, which I'm assuming it probably is, how do you help them through that? Yeah, and actually, I mean, if you think about it right now, like what's happening in the world, like there's so much of our world that we can't control, right? The truth is, like that's always been the case, but now it's like really in our face, right? Especially you know parents who are listening who have kids who are school aged this whole you know, decision to send your kids to school, to do virtual, to do homeschool, like trying to identify like what decision to make, right? So whenever we notice ourselves feeling out of control, 
it's because we have this feeling of uncertainty and we don't know what to expect. And that could be from, you know, a pandemic. It could be from a divorce. It could be from, you know, even like going through something like, you know, a, a breakup in high school or, you know, failing a test or um, wanting to compete in a sport and, you know, not doing well, right? Like anytime that we've got adversity and we're trying to overcome it and there's this sense of uncertainty, like where we don't know what to expect, that's where that sense of lack of control comes from. And so whenever we're looking outside of ourselves to answer that question of like, what do I expect? And then the circumstance changes, we feel really out of control. And so the highest quality of decisions actually come from inside of us, from listening to ourselves and trusting ourselves. And growing up, I think that's one of the skills that's like super important for girls to know is like, we don't have to listen to everybody outside of us to make decisions, right? And as you get older and you become an adult and you actually, you know, don't have like, because when you're growing up, you have your parents that you're listening to, right? And like, your parents make decisions for you and you learn to kind of rely on other people for what to think and how to feel. And then you get out into the world and all of a sudden now you're being thrown all of these, you know, adversities and challenges. And you're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to think about it. Right. Cause your whole life you've been basically told how to think and how to feel. Like think about our education system, right? Like we're basically telling our children exactly how to think and how to feel. And I think now we're getting better at, you know, opportunities for creativity but even, you know, growing up, like there wasn't a lot of room for opinions from children. It was like, this is what you do, you do what you're told. And then as you get older, you've kind of lost this ability to trust yourself and make decisions. And so stopping to ask yourself those questions and like really listening to your inner voice and being willing to listen without judgment and then making a decision about how you want to feel about it. Right? Like that's really what it comes down to. The short answer is the way that you feel in control of your life is you make decisions. And now that might sound very simplistic, but if you think about like when we're looking at a circumstance that we can't control, right? Like there are some parts of it that we can control and there are some parts of it that we can't. And the parts that we can't control, we can decide what we want to think about it. We can decide what we want to do and we can decide how we want to choose to show up in the world no matter what happens outside of us. And when we can do that and like focus on who we are and how we want to show up in the world, no matter what happens, no matter if there's a pandemic, no matter if we get divorced, no matter if we fail a test, no matter if we, you know, come in second place in a competition, like anytime that we can be really certain with ourselves and who we are, it gives us the ability to create certainty for ourselves through decision-making and through intentionally deciding what we want to think no matter what happens outside of us. But in order to do that, in order to be interdirected, in order to access your intuition, to know what's right for you, and to make those kind of choices, you have to slow down, get quiet, and you have to take time for yourself. And I'm thinking that from uh, working with girls for 30 years and their moms, um, I think a lot of women have a hard time with that forget the divorce part just in general because everybody's needs are more important and make other people happy, blah, 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 all those kinds of things, which sound like cliches, but they're kind of sort of true for a lot of girls and women. And then you add on the layer of now I'm divorced. Now I'm a single parent. Now I'm working, maybe probably working and I got kids to take care of by myself now, blah, blah, blah. I'm, 
then you add on COVID and schooling at home. And I'm wondering, how do you guide, encourage, um, get women, divorce women to take that time for, to, to know? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting too, because I think one of the things is a lot of people don't want to do it, right? Because it's kind of scary. We're like, I don't want to be alone with myself. I don't want to have to hear my own thoughts. And so a lot of us, we create this sense of busyness in our lives so that we don't have to slow down so that we don't have to like hear what's going on inside of our heads. And so I think the first challenge is really convincing them of, you know, the importance of doing that and the impact it has on your life. And so when you can show someone how just by thinking differently, it can create a completely different result for them and helping them see like what's, you know, challenging them by holding space and basically just helping them see their own thoughts for them, which is what I do in my coaching sessions, right? Like basically what I'm working on is helping them see their own mind. Like I don't give them advice. I don't tell them what to do. I just help them see their own mind. And so the first step is really just helping them understand the importance of it and the impact it can have, not just on them, but also on their children, right? Like when we stop to take the time to do that, then it also allows us to set that example for our children because we create space for ourselves. And then once we create that space for ourselves and we start to do the work, then we can slowly over time, you know, make those changes, make those shifts, which then sets that example for our children to do the same. You know, I've seen a lot of data in the last whatever, handful of years about women in college and how their mental health is horrible when it comes to things like depression, anxiety, stress, all those things, off the charts, two-thirds, three-fourths, uh, high levels of all those things. But the other thing I've noticed besides that, just in my, in my counseling practice and in my retreats and all those things that I do, is that it seems like a lot of women in college who I work with, when it comes to relationships, like dating relationships, it's, they seem young to me. I don't think it's because I'm a grumpy old man looking back like, oh, my generation, because my generation (laughs) sucked when it came to marriage, right? Half of us, I didn't, but half of people in my generation got divorced. So our track record isn't great, but they just seem younger. Uh, When they talk about dating relationships and things, it feels like I'm talking to like a sophomore in high school, not a sophomore in college. I'm wondering, um, I'm not sure if you work with with people that age, but I'm wondering if you're seeing uh, young women today who have been married, divorced, and are before that, if you're also seeing that sense of they're just not great at relationships. Well, and so it's really interesting that you bring that up because m- my opinion is that we're not great at relationships with ourselves, right? And if we're not great at relationships with ourselves, it's going to make it really difficult to have relationships with other people, right? Mm-hmm. So thinking about like that cliche, you know, like you need to love yourself more. Well, I think part of it is we don't learn how to love ourselves unconditionally, right? Like we're societally conditioned to believe that like another person is responsible for how we feel, right? Like we expect that our boyfriend or our husband or our ex-husband for that matter is supposed to behave in a certain way, supposed to do certain things so that we can feel better, right? And so I think a lot of times it's not even just the, the matter of like us not being able to have good relationships or even being too young, it's that we don't take the time to get to know ourselves and we don't take the, the work that it ha- like the work that is required to love yourself unconditionally. And that means like, no matter what happens, if I'm not perfect, if I make mistakes, if I'm 
you know, mean to my friends, if I'm mean to my parents, if I'm mean to my ex-husband, if I'm mean to my kids, like I still love myself because I know I'm an imperfect human in an imperfect world. And when we can get to that place where we can love ourselves no matter what and have compassion for ourselves, it makes it so much more accessible and so much more easy for us to do that for other people. You know, and to touch on the anxiety piece too, like I think a lot of what creates the anxiety for us is actually anxiety about having anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? It's like we think that when we have anxiety, something has gone terribly wrong. But the truth is anxiety is a normal part of being a human. It's part of the human experience. And anxiety is a signal to tell us that there's danger, right? Now, you know, many years ago, that danger would have been something that could have killed us. And so that's the purpose of our brain is to help keep us alive. And that's why our amygdala, you know, jumps in and it's like fight or flight. And then we have that sense of anxiety and the, you know, the heart racing and the like sweaty palms, the tightness in the chest. And we think something's wrong, something's wrong. And then we have anxiety about the anxiety. And so I think that a lot of times what's happening is that we talk about anxiety as though it's some disease that we need to fix. When in reality, like anxiety is a normal part of being a human being right? And that's not to say that it feels good. It's not to say that we necessarily want to have anxiety, but understanding that it's there and knowing that it's normal to have anxiety and allowing it to be there is a much different experience than telling ourselves like something has gone completely wrong. And then we feel even more anxious about the anxiety. We're talking with Stephanie Nichols, who wrote a book called Create Your Calm, A Guilt-Free Journey to Peaceful Motherhood. She's a certified life coach for divorced moms. I'm guessing a part of your work with moms, divorced moms, is that uh, beyond this part about knowing yourself and all that, which I think is awesome, I also guess would guess that part of your job is also to help them learn from their their marriage that failed, so that before they move on to another relationship, before they move on in life, that they to take the time to figure out what happened, what was my part good things, things I don't want to carry forward. I, I, because so many people rebound and get married quickly without doing the work, I you know that the re-divorce rate's pretty high. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming, I shouldn't assume, I guess, I'm guessing that's part of your job. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I help my clients to do is, like not even just with divorce, but like any adversity, anything that challenges you. Um, my book is, it's all about creating calm, a guilt-free journey to peaceful motherhood, because after you become a mom, it's a similar process, right? It's not, not the same in the sense that you have the sense of grief and loss when you're divorced. Like there's a whole new level, like it's a whole new filter that you go through when you're you know, going through the divorce process, but it's the same idea, right? It's like using it as a catalyst for growth and a source of resilience and strength, like teaching them to take what they learned from the experience and using it to grow as a human being. So, you know, for me, when I looked back at my, my relationship, I was married for 10 years and we were together for 16 years. We have two beautiful children that are, you know, eight and five. And I look back at all of the experiences that we had in the life that we created and what was my part in the relationship, not being a relationship anymore or a different relationship. Cause we still have a relationship. It's just now a co-parenting relationship, but I look at like my part in it, right? And when I first went through the work, it was like, I wanted to really beat myself up 
for all of the things I quote unquote did wrong. Right. I was like, I can't believe I, you know, behaved that way or did that. Or even some of the things I could hear myself like hating myself for some of the things that I did and like not believing I was a good person because a good person wouldn't do that. And like, I went through this whole, um, like spiral of like a deep, dark hole of feeling like I had failed miserably and I was a terrible person. And then I recognize that I get to use that. I get to love myself, even the ugly parts of myself and use those experiences and understanding of myself to grow as a human being. And so that's what I do with my clients too, is I help them to see like, we are all humans, right? Like we all go through different experiences. And so as you're going through the experiences, instead of using it to beat yourself up, use that as a way to grow and learn, like do an evaluation of like, what worked in my life? What didn't work? What do I want to do differently? And then I teach them how to like, look forward into a future that they can create for themselves and, and get excited about. So the, the women who you coach, I'm sure are very appreciative. You sound like you really are on top of it and, I've, and they're growing, they're learning, they're becoming more self-aware. They're, they're going to let go of some things, all that stuff, which is great. How do you coach them when their ex is not? Because I'm guessing that, um, I mean, because I see a lot of girls who have been through separations and divorces, and sometimes it's been three years, five years, 10 years, and they're still fighting, and, and you know, both parents are blaming the other, and the kids are in the middle, you know all that. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. if since you are working with women, coaching them, I'm assuming they, I'm not assuming, they're growing and all that, but their spouse is not, it creates, I think, a lot of, I don't know, discord, and makes probably makes it much harder for your moms. Well, so, I mean, I will say, you know, like my ex hasn't been coached by me, right? So I know that from my own <laughs> oh, yes, experience, he has. <laughs> that, that is true. I'm sure in my own way, but I will say that like doing my own work, I've noticed a difference in our relationship just because of the way that I'm showing up differently in the relationship has just by nature created a different relationship between the two of us. Um, but I think you know, like one of the things that's hard. I'm sorry. I, that's no, hard that's because okay. a lot of what, what a lot of moms will say is, but he's not. Right. Uh, right. And, they, you know, there's still that, you know, blaming thing. So I, I agree with you, but I, yeah. I find a lot of moms have a hard time with that because th their ex does something, whatever, and then they get, they get triggered and then boo, they're right back to. Yeah. Well, and so a couple of things, like one, the, one of the first things that we do that we talk about when it's a relationship, like a co-parent relationship is learning to let other people be themselves. Right. And we do, and this is tough work. Like I'm not pretending that this work happens overnight. Like yeah. we work together usually for six months and a lot of my clients will hire me again because it's work that's really important and it takes time to do. But the other part of it is when you're focusing on your ex, you're not taking control and ownership over your own life. Right. And that's what I focus on. And that's why people hire a coach because I help you to see all of that. Right. Like I don't, I'm not going to be your mom or your best friend and validate you and justify everything that you're saying. I'm going to help show you how all that crap thinking that you have going on inside your head is creating the life that you're living. Right. The pain that you're creating for yourself when you live in that space of he did this and he did that, you give him all the control of your life. Right. And so when you can learn to let go of him, and let him be him and control. It's like back to the circumstances, right? Like when a pandemic happens and schools close down, I mean, you can sure you can be mad about the fact that schools close down, 
but it's not going to change the fact that school's closed, right? The school's not going to open magically because you're mad. And the same thing, like your ex isn't going to change because you're upset. And it's probably going to make your relationship a lot more strained and awful, right? So you can let him be him and you get to take ownership over your thoughts and your decisions and your feelings and your actions, right? Like you get to take control over all of it. And I think like when you can get to that place where you can practice doing that, like when he's not around, then when he is around and you have an interaction and you're quote unquote triggered, you're much more well-equipped to handle it in the moment because you've been doing the work outside of that experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that, obviously that's, a, that's tough when the other person's coming at you and you're trying to keep your cool and, you know, stay where you want to stay. I know it's not easy. Yeah. Um, can I, can I say something really quick about sure. that? One of the things I learned about that is when when I'm in a situation, doesn't matter who it's with, like it could be with my ex, it could be with my mom, it could be anybody. And there's this sense of like them coming at me, right? I find that when I can get into a place of understanding that I'm also not perfect, and I'm also a person who experiences emotions and gets upset sometimes, I can tap into compassion so much easier when I believe that that person is doing the best that they can, right? When I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, what's going on for him that he's so upset? What's going on for her that she's so upset? And genuinely from this place of love and compassion for another human being, whoever that is, genuinely wanting to understand what's going on for them makes that situation so much less tense. And it creates a sense of calm for you because you can understand that like, I've been angry too. And I know what it's like to be angry. And I know what it's like to be yelled at and to yell at somebody. I know what it's like to make mistakes and have somebody tell you that you made a mistake, right? Like when you can tap into your own humanness, it creates so much compassion for the other person and allows you to come at the conversation or at the experience from a whole different light. Yeah. One of my favorite authors, his name is Anthony DeMello. He was a Jesuit priest and he he was from India, so he kind of combined a lot of Eastern and Western spirituality. But one of the things he always said, he, and he passed away a while back, but one of the things he said was he wanted to write a book and call it, I'm an ass, you're an ass, to, to describe what you just said, which is, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. So when I see you doing mischief or things that I don't like, instead of getting into judgment and being critical and all that, I'm just going to say, you know what, I'm an ass, you're an ass, I'm not perfect, I'm, so I'm going to... I'm going to look at it in a different way so that I don't end up, this doesn't end up being one of those fights or arguments or things. Yeah. And too, I think from a parenting perspective, right? Because a lot of your listeners are parents of daughters. And I think from a parenting perspective, there's a humbling experience there when you can take ownership as a parent of how you mess up and letting your kids see you take ownership over that. And then creating that space for conversation with your children of like, it's okay to make mistakes. You can still love yourself when you make mistakes and opening up that conversation of setting the example of how that looks. Yeah. A couple more questions if you have time. Yeah. First one is with, with kids. So you're, just from your experience, maybe personally, but also your experience working with lots of divorced moms, uh, your best, best advice, best strategies for supporting children through the process. Through the process of divorce? Yeah. So I think that's a big question. I know, but it is a big question, but I, I appreciate you asking it. Cause I do think a lot of people don't, don't really know even where to start. Right. They're like, I'm, I'm messing my kids up, you know, like, and they stay in marriages that maybe 
they would be better off, you know, and that was the decision that my ex and I made was, you know, we still love each other as people. We still respect each other as people, um, but we wanted different lifestyles. And so we decided together that we wanted to um, live in different houses and not be married anymore. And I think one of the, the best pieces of advice that I could give is just basically like, let your kids experience it, however they're experiencing it and open up the doors for conversation. Like help them understand how they're feeling about it. Help them express how they're feeling about it. Help them understand, um, like if they've got questions about it, help them understand what's going on and where, where it's coming from and help them understand that it doesn't mean you love them less. It doesn't mean that, um, they did anything wrong, right? Like I think a big part of it is just knowing that your kids can, they can handle adversity, right? Like your kids can handle challenges. And sometimes life doesn't look the way that you want it to, or sometimes things happen, people die, kids get sick, you know, like pets pass away. And children are able to overcome adversity. And if you can help them through that by teaching them how to do it, by leading by example, right? Which means you learn the skills of how to overcome adversity. You learn how to identify your emotions. You learn how to process your emotions. You learn how to, um, you know, make decisions and, and live an intentional life. Then you can set that example for your kids. You can sit them down. Like my kids are eight and five and we have conversations regularly about checking in. Like, how are you feeling? What's the strongest emotion you're having right now? What do you think you're thinking when you're having that emotion? I mean, these, my kids understand this kind of stuff. We do it regularly. Um, they open up to me about stuff and my five-year-old can't express it the same way my eight-year-old can. However, like the more that we talk about it, the more understanding he gets and the more able he is to process what's going on for him. And I think like that skill can carry over into anything. Like my son last year was having anger issues where he was um, doing things at school that were really uncharacteristic of him. And I was trying to identify like, is it something going on with our family life? Is it something going on at school? Is it something going on, you know, somewhere else? And what I was able to identify is there were some kids at school that were leaving him out mm. and he wasn't able to express that. But through our conversations and asking questions and leaving that door open for him to talk about it, he was able to finally come to the place like he understood what was creating that anger for him. And then I talked, you know, like, it's okay to be angry and here are appropriate ways to express it, you know, and then you can go through that. But like, I think the biggest thing is just creating that space for them to feel how they're feeling, right? Like, don't try to change how they're feeling so you can feel better yourself. Like, don't want your kids to be happy so you can feel good. I think a lot of parents sometimes also don't understand that the process of, of working through an adversity like, like divorce, it's, it's a grieving process and it, it's a process. So everybody does it different. It, it looks different. It takes a different timeline. I, I can't tell you how many parents I've seen over the years will say, they'll say their daughter's doing fine with the divorce because she's got good grades. You know, they'll, they'll pick out one thing like that. And I think, I get why. I mean, I think they, they want everybody to do okay. They want everybody to be fine. They want everybody to get through it. And we're all through it. We're all doing great. We're one big happy family, even though sometimes, you know, you know the kids aren't there yet. Yeah. I think that you just touched on like one of the biggest things that I experienced was this desire from other people for me to be okay when I was going through my divorce. It was like my well-intentioned family and friends like they wanted to see me happy again. They wanted to see me not hurting anymore. And so they wanted me to stop hurting and they were trying to do things to get me to stop hurting. And what I wanted them to understand was like, it's okay 
for me to not be okay. And when you accept me not being okay, it releases me of the responsibility of your emotions, right? Like I don't want to be responsible for how my parents feel when I'm going through a divorce. And you're taking care of them. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Which was a lot of kids do that. They end up looking at their parents, their mom or their dad. And they, if they see them stressed out, out of it, on the edge, what kids will say to me all the time is they've got too much in their plate. Therefore I'll just hold on to mine because I don't want to put them over the edge. They've got more than enough stuff to handle. Yeah. And I think it just goes back to communication, right? Like opening up that door to your children and letting them know that like, I feel stressed sometimes too, and it's okay that I feel stressed. And if you're feeling stressed, you know, like that's okay. And if you want to talk about it with me, I can help you work through it. But I think it's just like opening that door and acknowledging that we have emotions and that whatever emotion we're feeling is okay. Like that is a huge step for a lot of people. One last question, by the way, and we're, we're talking with Stephanie Nichols. She's a life coach for moms who are, who have been or are going through a divorce. And this is a long, a question that could require a three-hour lecture or something. But when any, any advice you have or best advice for young women who are not married, best advice to prepare themselves to be ready for a long-term, lifelong relationship? Yeah, and actually, I think it's kind of a short answer. Like, my answer would be, learn to love yourself first. Like I think the most important thing and the most beautiful gift you can give to the world is learning to love you as the imperfect human you are. Accepting yourself for who you are, embracing who you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, allowing yourself to be a human being and getting to know yourself really well and not expecting another person to be responsible for your feelings like taking full ownership for you, learning how to identify how you're feeling, like be able to be alone, be able to, um, you know, be happy by yourself, like take full ownership over yourself, your emotions, your decisions, and don't depend on another person to create an emotion for you. Now, let me clarify that because I don't want to say don't depend on other people because I think it's important to ask for help. Right. But we don't want to ask for help so we can feel better. We don't want them to make us feel better. We want to ask for help so that we can, um, you know, like have somebody come and help watch your kids if you're struggling or have somebody come and help, you know, with therapy or counseling or coaching or, you know, somebody to talk to. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking for help, but I want women to hear this message that like the most important thing you can do for yourself is to learn to love yourself no matter what. Yeah. I often tell young women, I say, to, uh, to attract more, you have to become more. Yeah, so Work, work on yourself, love yourself, work on yourself, because the healthier you are and the more socially, emotionally intelligent you, you are, all those things. I mean, you can't prepare for marriage until you're, I mean, there's some things you just don't, you can't learn about yourself until you're in a long-term committed relationship. But there's a lot of things you can do yeah. Along yeah. the way to figure yourself out, know yourself. Yeah. And I think that was part of, you know, like as you grow up and you get older, like you do change, right? Like there are things about you that you just, you just change naturally. Like it's a progression of evolution and of being a human. And so I think you can't necessarily prepare for that. You're right. But I do love that idea of like basically attracting what you, what you like, right? Like attract, attract, attract what is, I don't even know what the phrase is where like it attracts likeness. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you, like, yeah, something like that. But, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, but like thinking about, you know, dating, right? So dating after divorce, it's like, what do you want to do to start finding that person that you want to spend your time with, right? Once you get to that place where you're looking to spend your time with someone, not because you want to feel better, but because you want somebody to do stuff with and hang out with and have fun with, then you start to think about, okay, what are the things I love to do? And like start doing those things, like being you, right? So for me, it's, I love to sing. So I'm getting out there and singing as much as I can during a pandemic, which is like the worst thing you can do during a pandemic when you're trying not to spread germs, you know, but I love to be outside and I love to walk and I love to run and I love to read and I love to write. And I, you know, so I just really got to know myself really well. And then I put myself out there in those ways to try to attract somebody who has very similar interests to me. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. And so we're not going to be able to hear Stephanie sing, but maybe another time. So we've been talking with Stephanie Nichols. And by the way, how, how can, if people are interested in your, in your coaching, how can they get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is through my website. Um, and that's www.stephanie-nichols.com. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on today and uh, giving us information about it's not just about, like you said at the very beginning, it's not just about divorce. It's, it's about any adversity. It um, really is. Yeah. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that like divorce is one, one piece of it, right? Like, and that is my specialty. That's who I coach. But if you can't tell how passionate I am about what I do, like, I, I think it's just so important that as humans, we recognize that like challenges are going to happen. That's a part of life. And what you decide to do with it is all up to you. Thank you all for tuning in to Raising Daughters. Every two weeks, we're here with, the, with a new podcast. And then the other weeks, there's a blog, the alternate weeks. So if you're looking for more information about all the things that we do, just look on my website at drtimjordan.com. We have some weekend retreats coming up. Or, you know, there's uh, blogs and podcasts, uh, books that I've written, all those kinds of things. So check on those. And, and if this was interesting to you, always feel free to pass them on to your friends. Um, I look forward to talking to you all again in two weeks uh, and stay safe. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.